Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We are looking at the art of joy. Paul talks about joy more in Philippians than any other place in the Bible. 16 times he will say joy or rejoice in the Lord. And so it's all about joy. And yet we are so, for so many it seems so elusive. It's like here for a moment, gone. And here's a little grip of joy over here, a little bit of a joy over here, a little bit here. And then mixed with all times of sadness and heartache and fear and anxiety and depression. And, and so how do we find this joy and how do we keep our joy? And so we're learning together. Let's stand as we look at Philippians chapter 3 and we will be going verse number 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Everybody say that. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is by, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who the Spirit of God who glorify in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, of the Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes by God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Father, We love you so very, very much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence here today. I thank you for those who are baptized in water. We rejoice with them in their salvation, and they're making that public confession today. We thank you, Lord Jesus. God, as I open up the word, speak to us, I pray, as only you can. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Anybody in here an accountant or uh, work with figures, numbers, spreadsheets, all that kind of stuff? Let me see your hand. How many accountants we, we got in the house today? Uh, Paul uses the analogy of an accountant. He's going to start out with profit and loss, gain and loss. And he's going to talk about that to describe what it's like now to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he kind of spells it all out for us. He has, and when he gets all done, when he's looks at all the ledger sheet, he looks at all the balances, he looks at all that he has done, he says all these things are lost, but the one thing that is gain is Christ, Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at that Paul's balance sheet today, Paul's ledger, and just study that this morning. Look at verse number seven. 
First, I want you to notice the losses. But whatever was profit to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, if anybody had a list of accomplishments as a Jew, it was the Apostle Paul. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. And he begins to list all these things one by one. And he starts in verse number five. And he says, you know what? I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the covenant people of Israel. I am a special Jew. I follow the covenant. My family did. I was born into this Jewish thing and circumcised to tell about it. Verse number five, he says of the people of Israel, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's an Israelite by birth, not a proselyte. Many people would come to find God, Yahweh God, and they would be proselytes to the Jewish faith. He said, not me, I'm a, I'm a natural Jew. I'm a Jew by birth. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What happened is in the ancient days when the Jewish people are taken into captivity, the Assyrians, first of all, about 700 plus eight, uh, uh B.C., and then the, the Babylonians came in to Judah and about 500 plus B.C., and they took them into captivity. So Jews are scattered all throughout now the Roman Empire, and many of those even forgot their native language. We know from the word of God that Saul is called Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was a Gentile city, and so he's born in a Gentile city by Jewish parents, but he maintained his Hebrew religion. He never lost the ability to speak in Hebrew, while many others did. So he says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I, my people are the Israelites. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, that ought to set me apart. I'm better than everybody else because of the tribe I came from. You understand from history that, that Benjamin and Joseph are Jacob's two favorite sons because he loved Rachel more than Leah. And so Rachel's finally able to have children and their names are Joseph and later Benjamin. And so he's one of the two favorite sons of all the tribes of Israel. And we know from history that uh, Saul was the very first king of Israel. He was what? A Benjamite. In fact, Saul probably got his name from King Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and so he's named after the first king of Israel. When Absalom rebels against David and Israel comes against him and drives him out of Jerusalem, the two tribes that stayed loyal to David during that time were who? Judah and Benjamin. Remember, after Solomon's rule and reign, the kingdoms are divided and there's a revolt, and the t- ten northern tribes rebel. They set up their own idol worship up in the northern cities of Israel, and the two tribes that remained faithful to Jehovah God and worshiped in Jerusalem were Judah and Benjamin. And so those, he has that heritage that he is a Benjamite. He took great pride in being a Pharisee. The Pharisees had this meticulous observance of the law. Any letter of the law, they kept down to the very last detail. And then he says in verse six, I was blameless and zealous, even killing believers. says in verse 7, but something happened along the way. I had this, this, and this all stacked up on my resume, but, but I had an encounter with God on the Damascus Road, and God revealed himself to me, and Jesus Christ spoke to me, and I gave my life over to him, and but everything changed in my life. How many had that but experience when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the old things passed away, and everything became new? But, Mark's that experience. He says in verse seven, but what, whatever is my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The word profit there is in the plural, in the Greek language. 
So he says all these gains or all these profits are many different things. But the word loss is the singular word. He says, I count all my gains one big loss. Everything, all my accomplishments, all my attempts to gain God's favor, to work my way into righteousness, to work my way into heaven, to be good enough to please God. He says, all those gains, all those things I worked out in my own flesh is one big loss. In fact, in verse eight, he says, I consider them all rubbish or garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, what are you saying? I'm saying, listen, too often those things we value most on earth are simply rubbish. One amen, thank you. I want to try, try that one more time. So many times those things we pursue and go after and seek and put our life all about and make our life uh, uh, find our, our satisfaction in. He says, I consider them all but lost. Listen to me. We can never, ever save ourselves. I don't care how good you try to be, how many things you try to do, how nice you are. You can never, ever earn your own salvation. You can never earn forgiveness. It is never Jesus Christ plus works equals salvation. You said, he said, talked about those who are mutilators of the flesh, what they were saying in essence was, you know what, you can be saved, you can know Jesus, but you also gotta be circumcised. And then you're really saved. Or you can be saved and know Jesus, and then you've gotta keep all the law. Or you can be saved, and then you've gotta keep all the Jewish festivals, and the Jewish feast, and all the dietary restrictions. And they, and they were adding works on top of the law, and the Apostle Paul says, all of that is worthless, all that is lost. The only thing is, do you know Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? You are saved by grace alone through faith in God. There is no other good works you can pile up, you can ever do to earn your salvation. And that's the point he is trying to make here. You see, there's some inherent problems with our own righteousness. Let me just give you a few of those very quickly. First of all, the Bible says all of our righteousness falls short of the glory of God. No matter how good you will try to be, you can never be good enough because God's holy, God's perfect. Matthew chapter five and verse 48 says, be perfect therefore even as your heavenly father is perfect. Listen, God's standard is perfect holiness. Who can do that? Nobody. We can't ever be perfect like God. So what's the solution? I've gotta take on the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness because I will never ever be good enough to be God or like God. Can't happen. No one can do that. For all, the Bible says, for all have sinned, everybody, and fall short of the glory of God. Let me see if I can illustrate it to you this way. Let's say you have your boat, and it's anchored to the dock, and you got 10 links of the chain. And those 10 links are there, and they're holding the boat secure to the dock. And if that boat gets loose, it's going to go down and go downstream and go over the waterfall, and everybody in the boat is going to die. Now, there are some people who look at those 10 laws, those 10 commandments, those 10 links, 
And they're lawbreakers and they're bad, bad people and they're murderers and they're idolaters and they're liars and they're fornicators and all those kinds of things. And they break many, many different those links. What's going to happen? It's going to break. It's going to go down over the waterfall. They're going to die. And then there are some who are rule keepers who keep every part of the law. But even the apostle Paul says... Even though I kept all the law, there was one law I could not keep. That was law number 10, thou shalt not covet. Now what's going to happen if one link of that chain breaks? It's going to go off the dock, go downstream, over the waterfall. And the point is that, that, that no matter how good we try to be, because we are human, we will always fail. We cannot keep the law. And so all people are guilty before God. Whether you break 10 of the laws, 5 of the laws, 15, whatever it is, we're lost and heading over the waterfall. The second thing is all human goodness is tainted by sin. And so here's the problem. We've, we've got that sin nature, and it's, it's, it's a part of who we are, and so even our best goodness, our best days at attempting to be good in our own strength is all tainted by sin. There's a, there's a in Zermatt, Switzerland, there's a beautiful little mountain village. It sits at the basis of the Matterhorn, and they get the purest water coming down from the mountains that you could ever imagine. And, and yet typhoid broke out of that city, killed many of its residents who lived there. And what had happened is animal feces had worked its way into the pipes that brought the water down from the mountains. And because that animal feces got in there, that just a small little bit, a small crack in the pipes, it contaminated all the water supply. And as a result, typhoid bacillus broke out. It bred, it contaminated the pure mountain water water and as a result brought death to the village. I want to tell you our human good works as good as we try to be as good as we attempt to be in our own strength and our own power and our own ability is always contaminated by sin and the Bible says the wages of sin is death so it leads to the same problem I cannot save myself. The third thing is our righteousness is totally different in nature from God's righteousness. It's not even on the same universe. It's not even in the same plane. Therefore, I can't anything add anything to my own righteousness to be good enough to please God. Now, here's, here's how we operate. Here's how we think today. We think this way. We have a scale. And we put all those guys in prison, all the murderers, all the ones who shoot people, all the child abusers, all those kinds of people, we put them on the lowest rung of the level. And then we take all the average Joes, just like us, and we put us somewhere in the middle of the continuum. And we're right there in the middle somewhere, and we're nice people, and we got a nice family, we got nice kids, and we work a job, and we take care of ourselves. And so somewhere, we're right there in the middle. And then we put God up here at the very highest level of our continuum. I, I will tell you, and what happens is we think in our mind, if I can be good enough, I can just work up the ranks until finally I can be good enough somehow to please God and I will climb. The trouble is God's righteousness is totally different than ours and so man's righteousness will never ever attain God's righteousness. It's a totally different concept. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you ever played Monopoly? Let me see your hand. I will tell you, I'm warning you right now, if I play you in Monopoly, I will literally wipe you out. 
I will take every piece of property you got. I will take all your money. I will destroy. I will crush you. I will wipe you out because I, I play to win. And that's, that's what's going to happen. And so let's just say we got six people sitting around the board and we're playing. And one by one, I start wiping them out, taking their assets, taking their money. And my pile begins to grow. And I get at the end of the game and I won that game. Now, I take that monopoly money and I go to First National Bank. And I walk in there, I say, here, put this in my bank account right now. They're going to look at me and laugh me out of there. They say, you've got to be crazy. What do you think you can put this in the bank? I, I say, i got thousands of dollars here. Count it up. Put it in my bank. Put it in my ledger. i got thousands of dollars. It's a different kind of currency. Our human goodness is a totally different kind of currency from God's. In God's eyes, it has absolutely no value. So we're on the earth playing with play money, play currency, and God is dealing in his righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's totally, completely different. All my own works, all my own efforts, all my own monopoly money is absolutely worthless. And Paul gets down and he says, it is absolutely rubbish, it is garbage. All it's good for is to light a fire and be thrown away. It's good for nothing. Our righteousness will never, ever do it. It's worthless. And so my question today, we've got to ask ourselves, have you exchanged your own worthless righteousness for God's righteousness. Are you the righteousness of God right now in Christ Jesus? It's the great exchange. It takes place when I say, God, I need you. Come into my life. Save me. So you have the, the loss column. All those things the apostle Paul did to try to earn salvation. And then you have the gain column. And jump down, if you would, to verse number eight. And he says there, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may, and here's the, what does he gain? That I may gain Christ. Gain Christ. An amazing statement. When Paul looked at his account, he discovered how spiritually bankrupt he really was. But when he trusted in Christ, he discovered that now my sins were hung on the cross with Jesus Christ. Now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I am saved by his grace. It's amazing. Christ's righteousness now is deposited into my account. So all that other stuff's lost. God puts his righteousness in my bank account. You read about it in verse number nine. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. We can't do it. We, we, we're sinful, we're tainted by sin. Our righteousness is different. It all falls short. You will never, ever be able to save yourself through good works. But when I put my faith in what Christ did, his righteousness is deposited into my account, so I stand before him today holy, clean, pure, and righteous, a child of God, and nothing can ever, ever change that. That becomes the basis, the base point of my joy. 
He says, finally, brother, rejoice in the Lord. You don't earn and work and strive, struggle, fret. I stand in Christ alone. Three things he said I gain through Christ Jesus. The first, he says, I pray that I may know him. Look at verse number 10. I want to know Christ. It's interesting. Paul's saved, and he's writing to believers, but he still says, I want to know Christ. What does he mean by that statement? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a knowledge that is a head knowledge. And here's the problem. A lot of people know about Christ, and they know he died, and they know he rose again. And there is a head knowledge, but there is also an experiential knowledge. Let me, uh, let me share it from Scripture with you this way. In Genesis chapter 4, and verse 1, in the King James Version, it says, And Adam knew Eve, now, now his wife. And that doesn't mean God said, Okay, Adam, here's Eve. Shake hands, meet each other, this is your wife. Uh, that's not the knowledge he's talking about because it says in the very next line, and she conceived. So new was a euphemism in the Old Testament for sexual relations. They had intimate relationship with each other. And so when the apostle Paul says that, that I may know Christ, he is talking about a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know all about him. I want to, I want to be with him. I want to know him in that way. Paul, having been saved by grace, wants to know Christ in the deepest possible union with him. It is a personal, ongoing relationship with our Lord and with our Savior. The depth of joy is discovered in knowing Christ Jesus in this way. Oh, Lord, you're my everything. You're on my all. You're my life. God, it's a new day to serve you. I'm getting up this morning, and we're walking together, and we're following you together, and we're serving together, and we're we're loving each other. It's knowing Christ in that kind of way. Wake into the sense of his presence. And then he says, second thing is I want to know the power of your resurrection. Oh, you know you intimately. I want to know about your resurrection power. Now, Paul had known what it was like to struggle with trying to keep the law in his own strength. He, he says, the good that I want to do, I can't do. Romans chapter 7. And the bad things I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and somehow I I can't do what's right. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I just can't keep it. I just can't do it in my own strength. But I want to tell you, there is a resurrection power in Jesus Christ that helps us to live every day in victory. Victory is more than just a song we sing on Sunday morning. I want to tell you, you can live in victory in your life as you follow and serve Christ. The Romans were all about power. They were all about authority. They were all about rule. They were all about dominion. They were were that. But there was a power stronger than that of the Roman Empire, and that's the power of sin. And sin, when it gets you in its grasp, will hold you like a vice grip, and you feel like you can't get out, and you are bound, and you are addicted, and you are troubled by sin. But Paul says there is even a greater power than that, the greatest power in all the universe, and that's the resurrection power of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is able to break the chains of bondage, set us free. Help us to live and walk in that freedom and in that liberty. I pray that I may know your resurrection power. Now, in my spirit, my spirit's been made alive in Christ Jesus. 
so I can live in him and walk and live out of that victory and walk with him. And then one day, I will know that resurrection power in my body. Now follow me here. I know it now in my spirit. It is a reality here and now. Every day, I walk out of the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior. But he says in verse 20, at the end, he's coming down to the end of this chapter, and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will do what? Transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like him in his glorious body. So when I talk about resurrection power, it's a reality now. It's also a future reality for my own resurrection from this weak body. Wow. Now, if, if I stop there, close our Bibles, fold our hands, say, that was nice, I'm so excited, now we can leave and now we can get fun and have joy and all that great stuff. And what we don't want to do is read the last phrase. Right? And the third, the third gain is this. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. What? Joy and suffering? You've got to be crazy. Becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. It was a reality for the apostle Paul. I've already said he's in prison right now. He was going to be, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned one time and left for dead. Had several jail times, once in Philippi, in Rome on a couple of different occasions. He would eventually be let out and he would totally identify with Christ in his death because they would lead Paul down the corridor. They would say, dead man walking. They would place his head on top of the chopping block. The, ox, the axe would come down and he would give up his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew what it meant to share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. The reality is we go through times of hardship. We go through times of loss. We go through times of physical weakness. We go through times of testing and trials along the way. Look at what 1 Peter 4 says. He ties the same theme of joy into suffering. Very, very clear. Verse number 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that what we do? When, when, when suffering, when a trial comes, you, what do we say? God, why me? We're, we're buddies. We're, we've been in this together, and now I'm suffering, and now I'm going through a trial, and, and it, I, this wasn't supposed to happen to me. Maybe everybody else, but, but not me. He says, think it not strange when you go through suffering. But rejoice. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You see, the bottom line is there are going to be times on this earth when suffering will come, pain will come, trials will come, hardship will come, but it's in those times that we share with Christ and he comes to be the very closest to us possible. 
He comes along beside of us, and in some strange way, we are identifying with the same kind of suffering Jesus Christ went through. And he identifies with us, and he's with us, and that's why even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of test, I know that my God is with me. He shall never leave me. He will not forsake me, yea, to the very end of the earth. We don't like it. We don't go out looking for suffering. We're not masochistic saying, pour it on, God. I just want more suffering, want more pain. That's kind of abnormal. But, but when it comes, it says in 2 Corinthians, he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. What does that mean? Comfort is, is the same word that described the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter, one who comes along beside of us, our divine paraclete in the Greek language. He's with us. In some way, even in suffering, I can feel the closeness of God. I can feel the breath of God. And he's right down there with me every step of the way taking me through. And so therefore, nothing, nothing, nothing in this world can take my joy away because I'm attached to that which is eternal. I've got the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul looked at the balance sheet, he gained far more than he ever lost. All that stuff, all of his accomplishments, all the letters behind his name, all of his learning, everything else. Lost, 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 lost. I got Christ. I got Christ. He gained more than he ever lost. In fact, his gains were so thrilling. He says everything else is garbage in comparison. It's no wonder Paul had joy. His life did not depend on a cheap, temporary things of this world to get him by and get him through. He didn't just live for the weekend and go from moment to moment experientially, but he is tied to eternity. He is anchored to him who is eternal, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. People who live for things, people who live for pleasure, people who live for a moment in time, never have that joy that will last. Here gone, here gone, here gone, here gone, just in fact, I think sometimes the more things we have, the more things we have to worry about to keep and protect. Amen. Pleasures come and go. But the Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Joy can never, ever be taken away. It never ceases because he is tied to eternity. Hallelujah. I want to look at the next three verses. Because in Paul's letter, it's all one continuous thought. But I had to stop somewhere. Next week, I want to talk about these next three verses and how he changes the analogy from an accountant looking at ledger sheets, looking at profits and loss, now to a runner. And he says this, dear friends, do not be surprised. No, let me go back to my text. Excuse me. I'm still in Peter. It says there, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting all the accolades, forgetting the, the Phariseeism, forgetting all that he went through, forgetting the law, forgetting the legalism, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. 
Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.